You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Almighty God, we welcome you here today. We invite your presence. We invite you to speak to our hearts. May our hearts be good soil to receive your word. And may your word accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, For the past few weeks, we've been in a series in Romans titled, Christ in Us. We've been focusing on how having the Spirit of God within us changes the very fabric of our lives, how it redefines who we are as people, how it reshapes the world around us and returns us to our inheritance in God's eternal glory. Last week, Sean preached from Romans chapter 7 and talked about how awesome it is that Christ set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And this week, I have the privilege of speaking from the first part of Romans chapter 8. What a passage. I could talk for an hour or more just on the first verse alone. And there's way more than that. I'll spare you. I won't spend that much time. I'll have to condense everything. Try to hit a few key points. But first, I want to tell you a little story. Is that all right? Okay. And as all good stories start, once upon a time... There was a man and his wife who lived far away in a beautiful wooded river valley. They kept mostly to themselves, living off the land, cultivating a beautiful garden, tending a few animals. In one way or another, they had come to know God, learned to trust him deeply. They loved him with all their hearts. And through their daily conversations with with him, knew that they were deeply loved as well. They lived simply and virtually carefree. No worries or fears overtook them. They had everything they needed. Their relationship with God and one another was so sweet and intimate and precious. They shared such joy and lived with such a deep sense of peace that, well, you and I might have a hard time believing it. One day, a stranger came to visit who, unbeknownst to them, didn't share their view of life or their loving trust in God. In fact, he was quite bitter against God, blaming God for a great loss in his life and the tremendous pain and suffering he experienced as a result. Well, it wasn't long before this stranger began to ask questions, not the kind of questions that arise from curiosity or interest, mind you, but rather the kind of questions that raise doubts, worries, fears, suspicions. What if God wasn't as good as they thought he was? He suggested that maybe God was hiding things from them, controlling them for ulterior motives. What if they were just a bit naive to trust God so completely? He suggested maybe there was a more informed, a more intelligent way of looking at things, a paradigm that would help ensure more security, give them more control over their own lives. After all, trust is such a scary and uncertain proposition. Why not 
take matters into their own hands. Trust me, he said, you're, you're missing out on so much. Sadly, the seeds of doubt, fear, and envy planted by this slithering stranger took root in their hearts and grew. And to their great sorrow and God's and that of all their billions of descendants, they did just as the serpent said and ate the forbidden fruit. In one fell swoop, the great deceiver managed to shift the focus of mankind's mind and trust away from God. With all his perfect goodness, faithfulness, provision, and love, and enslaved us to our own selfish desires, weak abilities, poor understanding, and quite frankly, a very skewed perspective. In that moment, we traded the abundance, sufficiency, and contentment of life in the spirit for the inadequacy, inferiority, and insatiability of a life focused on self, motivated by shame, fear, guilt, pride, lust, and a whole host of other such things. And history records ages and ages of endless tragedies and atrocities that we have committed and experienced as a result, not least of which is our inherited inability to relate freely to God outside of this fleshly mindset. Through countless generations, this focus on the flesh has been perpetuated and reinforced in every aspect of life. It's so pervasive that even when we were shown the right way, as the Israelites were with the law of Moses and through the prophets, we find ourselves utterly unable to do what is right with any consistency whatsoever. Our responses ranging from religious legalism to bitter apathy to outright rebellion. Truly, this is spiritual death. And that is exactly what Paul exclaimed about in Romans 7 that Sean preached about last week. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And imagine the despair that we must feel if there were no answer to that question. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That is not the end of the story. Whew. At the perfect moment in history, in the fullness of time, as it says, after millennia of laying the groundwork of revelation, prophetic anticipation, God, the Son, came and dwelt among us. He revealed to us the Father, taught us of his kingdom and of his love, and not just content to tell us about it. He demonstrated his overwhelming love for us by taking sin into himself and condemning it in the flesh through his death on the cross. And it gets even better. Being too powerful for death, Christ arose victorious over sin and death, opening once again the doors to life and the relationship that he had originally intended for us. Then ascending to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to guide us through the process of putting that old, sinful flesh paradigm to death and learning how to live this new life in Christ. A life of intimate, trusting, love-based relationship with God, through which we may once again know and experience the depths of his goodness and love. We may know and experience great hope and profound peace. 
we may know true and experience true and lasting freedom and real joy, even in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances. This is what is possible when we are in Christ. This is the result of a mind set on things of the Spirit. Sounds good, no? Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, that's all well and good, Eric. I'd like to believe that. At least, I guess I'm supposed to believe that. But I can't honestly say I've really experienced it, or at least not much, or maybe not recently. I'm a Christian. I was baptized. I go to church and try to live right, but I just keep stumbling. Or there are areas of my life that just don't match up at all. Or... I'm not really experiencing that amazing life you're describing. I could really use some peace, hope, joy, or freedom, but I'm just not. That's not surprising. I think most, if not all, believers experience this at different times and different seasons in their walk with God. I said something like this the last time I preached. Uh, It seems to be a normal part of the growing process. And truthfully, it's something I struggle with myself periodically. I am a committed follower of Christ, yet I frequently have to repent, and boy do I have to repent, for speaking harshly to my family in anger or frustration. I struggle also, as I'm sure many of us do, to varying degrees with temptations in the areas of resentment, envy, lust, impatience, pride, perfectionism, control, laziness, and overeating and not always successfully. I really do like food. (laughs) Amen. The thing is, all of these are actually different outworkings of setting our minds on the things of the flesh. Just like Paul wrote, so often, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. And then, each time I fall short, then I have a tendency, maybe you do too, to spend a good bit of time wrestling with feelings of failure, inadequacy, not to mention the guilt, shame, fear, self-condemnation that always seem to want to follow. But you know what? Actually, these are just another way of getting us to set our mind on the things of the flesh. It's a trap. And this mindset, as Paul writes, it's hostile to God. It cannot please him and is, in fact, death. You see, the crux of the whole matter, in Paul's eyes, it's all about what we set our minds on. It's all about what we set our minds on. What does it mean to set your mind on something? Anyone? Focus, exactly. It's essentially has to do with what we choose to focus or dwell upon in our thoughts and imaginations, the things that we pay the most attention to, the things to which we choose to give our affections. These are the things that shape our inner thoughts and beliefs that determine how we live, how we relate to God and others, and how we even experience life. Outside of Christ, we have no choice but to live with a fleshly mindset. Whether that means chasing after enslaving desires, straining under the weight of guilt and shame or fear, 
or just being bound in cycles of performance and failure, performance and failure. Again, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Thank God. We are no longer, we no longer have to live under that old system. If we are in Christ and his spirit is in us, that has opened up for us the possibility of setting our minds on the things of the spirit. And that's the way that we can experience all the peace, joy, hope, freedom, love, and trust that Adam and Eve once shared with God and each other in the garden. And here's the big bonus. This, I love this. As we bumble and stumble our way through this process, and we all do, there is zero, zero, nothing, nada, zero condemnation for us in that process. No matter the mistakes we make, no matter how many times we stumble, there is no condemnation. God knows how deeply the old fleshly ways are ingrained in our psyche. It doesn't surprise him. He's taking care of all that in Christ. And he's going to keep working ever so faithfully to heal that part of us. All we have to do, all we have to do is keep choosing to set our minds on him on his goodness, on his faithfulness, to keep drawing our focus, no matter how many times it gets pulled away, to keep drawing our focus back to Christ, to trust in his goodness, to declare our trust in his goodness and the promises found in his word, to believe what it says in Isaiah, that his word will not return empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. The extent to which we keep pulling our focus back no matter how often we fail, that's the extent to which we will experience the life God has promised. 18th century English poet William Blake wrote, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. I see this, it's just really what he's saying is whatever we set our minds, our focus on, that's what will determine who we are, and how we live. So I'd like to try to make it a little bit practical, a lot practical, really. So I want to encourage all of us, including myself. This is, I'm speaking to me as much as to anybody here with a few ideas. The first thing that we need to do is start paying attention to what we're setting our minds on. We set our minds on things all the time. It's going on right now. You may or may not be focusing on what I'm saying. <laughs> what? Exactly. Uh, pay attention. Zero in. Get, become more self-aware. Pay attention to what's actually going on. We all have that kind of inner dialogue or monologue going on in our heads, our thoughts. What are we saying? What are we saying about our circumstances? What are we saying about ourselves? What are we saying about other people in that internal dialogue? Am I affirming my trust in those words, in God's love and goodness? Am I showing that mindset of focusing on the things of the Spirit? Or am I affirming my trust in myself, my own judgments, or in someone else, or in some system? The mindset of the flesh. 
The next thing, and I kind of already hit on this, but stop worrying about your performance. This is not a performance game. Don't focus on the do's and don'ts. That's missing the point entirely. Those things, our actions, our words, are actually the effect, not the cause. They're the fruit of what we truly believe in our hearts. So if you want to change your beliefs or turn your beliefs in the right direction, focus on Jesus, his work, his goodness, his faithfulness. Over time, this has a cumulative effect of renewing and transforming our mind, which in turn causes us to make better choices organically and authentically, not just from something imposed from the outside. Another way to do it is to flip it, to kind of do a check of yourself. If you find that you're going about under a heavy load of guilt, shame, or fear, or when you come to your senses after having fallen to some temptation, or if you realize that peace, hope, and joy seem to be missing from your life, that's, those are red flags. Those, that's the moment to check, oh, what is my mindset on? What have I been focusing on? And right then, right then, focus on God. No matter how far you've gone, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you think you do, and no matter how strongly you just can't bear the thought of coming into God's presence, just turn to God. Focus on him. Focus on his goodness. Remember his promises. Remember that there is no condemnation. Stop focusing on things you might be failing at, things that are stronger and bigger than you, whether sin, fear, anxiety, or your circumstances. Reset your mind. Start thinking about, imagining, and thanking God for whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, etc. Spend time worshiping. Put on some worship music. Play something beautiful. Get something art or something beautiful. Get your frame of mind onto God's goodness and beauty. Look, go, to, go out in creation. Whatever it takes to get your mind focused on God's goodness, his amazing wonder, do that. And of course, there's a reason that over and over again we're taught to spend time every day praying and reading and studying the word, meditating. Those are not religious duties. We don't have religious duties. Those are keys. Those are how we get God's word and promises inside us. You want to refresh your mind? You want to reset your mind? Well, feed it with something. Spend time in God's presence. And we also need to have people in our lives that have permission, people who demonstrate that they have set their minds on Christ. We have to give people like that access to ourselves and permission to speak to us to challenge us and to encourage us. So get people like that if you don't already have them. And finally, keep practicing. Nobody's perfect at this. Jesus was perfect at this. This is what he did. He did what he saw the Father doing. In every moment, he was focused on the Father. For us, it's a learning process, lifelong. So don't stop practicing. With the help of the Holy Spirit, these are some ways that we can set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And so... Live a life in Christ filled with peace, hope, and joy. And in the process, my guess is that's the kind of life that other people are going to be attracted to. That's how we witness to the people around us. Now, I'd like to take a few moments to really 
encourage you to focus on God's unconditional goodness and love. This is a perfect moment. Stop, maybe close your eyes if you need to. Focus on some aspect of God's love, his character, his goodness, his beauty, the fact that he loves us no matter what, that he has no condemnation for us. Focus on what he's done in Christ. He is amazing. He is so good. Bask in that as we prepare ourselves to come to the table. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.